Morning, church. How's life? All right, very, very, very good. Um, I remember a children's song we used to sing way, 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 way back. It said, if you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're saved and you know it, shout amen. amen. Good little Calvinistic song. You know, if you're saved and you know it, you know. And the final phrase sometimes would get lost in all the clapping and stomping and shouting. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Okay, if you have genuine faith, it will be obvious. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. In other words, he said, you can tell pretty much who has real faith and those who don't. Not, not judging, just observing. And Jesus said, you can tell. We're in this series this summer out of James, the book of James, and we want this book to be a mirror to us and let, look into the Word and let it reflect back on us some areas where God can make us look a little more like Jesus. And James talks about our attitude through trials and tribulations in the first chapter. He says you need to ask for God and pray. And if you're being mistreated, you, instead of getting angry, you need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And then Chapter 2, he talked about our attitude toward people, how we shouldn't play favorites. You know, a rich man comes in, a poor man comes in. Uh, treat them all with respect. And today we're going to talk about genuine faith. What does real faith look like? So we're going to read from James 2, starting verse 14. And as I read, I want to listen to the questions that James asks. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well fed, but does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Five times, he says, faith without, uh, without deeds is dead or useless. And he asks a series of questions. What good is it? Can it save? Were not Abraham and Rahab saved by their deeds? Faith without deeds is not real faith. Just talking about faith is not enough. Just saying you believe is not enough. I believe there's two main issues in this text. One is theological, and that is how are we saved? Big debate here. Can a person be saved by faith if that faith is not active? Sometimes you'll hear the phrase inactive church member. That's an oxymoron. Okay? Jesus said either you're with me or you're against me. This inactive stuff is the same as being dead. And James asked, can faith without deeds save a person? Is it enough to just say you believe? And the implied answer is, it is not. So this first issue is pretty serious. It's about eternal salvation. You remember, what will Jesus say at the end of our journey when we stand before him, those who have been faithful, what's he going to say? Well said, good and faithful servant. No. Nope. Well thought. 
good and faithful servant. No, well studied. No, what's he say? Well done. You did the faith. Now, if you think about it, you are what you do. If you do drugs, you're a druggie. If you do good, you're a goody two-shoes, and I mean that in a good sense. If you do law, you're a lawyer. If you preach, you're a preacher. If you teach, you're a teacher. If you're a Christian, you do Christian. And James says, real faith that saves is faith that is active. You can see it. Now, the second issue is more practical. Faith is something that can be seen. It works. Uh, There's evidence in your life. Last week, James addressed our attitude towards poor fringe members in society. A poor man walks into the assembly, a rich man walks in, and we are not to show favoritism. It is possible that some of James' congregation were reading that and thinking, well, I don't show favoritism. I'm not prejudiced. I don't look down on the poor. I don't discriminate. I don't care if someone looks different. I don't do anything mean to such people. I don't hurt them. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't. James says, okay, I know what you don't do. You don't mistreat the poor. You don't look down your nose on the poor. But James says, I want to know what do you do for the poor, the orphans and the widows. There's more to faith than what you don't do. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't go with girls that do. You know, that used to be the old thing. (laughs) Someone might say, well, I'm not against world missions. That's fine. But the real question is, what are you doing for world missions? Because Jesus commanded us to go in the world, go to the world. What are you doing to fulfill that? Don't give me your do-nots, James says, give me your do's. What are you doing? So faith without deeds does no good. If you see someone suffering and you feel bad for them but don't do anything, it is not real compassion, it is not real faith. If you see a missionary who's struggling and needs help and you don't do anything, it's just useless. So faith without deeds is no good to others. James says if a brother or sister is... Without clothes, lacking food, he needs more than kind words. He needs more than just to hear, God bless you, I'll pray for you. That's not enough. Now, we're a feeling culture. And uh, we, just want, we sometimes think that compassion is a feeling uh, sense. And someone will post a hardship that they're going through on Facebook, and people will respond, well, we're praying for you, you know, hugs and you know, a teary-eyed emoji. And, you know, and that's all fine. But what do you do? Are you going to do anything? Now, I know you can't do everything for everyone. I get that. But you can do something for someone. I want you to listen to what was written about the early church by a non-believer. This is just almost amazing. When they see a stranger, they take him to their dwellings and rejoice over him as a true believer. Now, isn't that dangerous to bring in a stranger? And if anyone among them is poor and needy and they have no spare food, they fast. They don't eat for two or three days in order to supply him or her with their needed food. The precepts of their Messiah they observe with great care. In other words, this non-believer saw the church in action. I mean, they would go without food for two or three days in order to feed someone else. Here's what another ancient writer wrote. They were not afraid to visit the sick, to look after them well, to take care for them for Christ's sake, and to die joyfully with them. What? See, back then, if you visited the sick, some of the sick, uh, they were contagious. Uh, Leprosy, for one thing. And you could actually lose your life by dealing with some of the sick. These Christians, they died. Many of them lost their own lives after restoring others to health, thus taking their death upon themselves. In this way, some of the noblest of our brethren died, some elders, deacons, and highly esteemed lay people. But the heathen did exactly the opposite. They cast out any people who began to be too will too ill and deserted those dearest. Now, 
the church in America sometimes talks about being relevant to the world. We got to speak to the culture and use the right music and worship and technology. And if we don't twit and blog, then we're out of date. And there might be some truth to that. But if you want to be really relevant, let's just do the faith. Just do what Jesus asked us to do. It will be relevant. The early church turned the world upside down because their faith was alive. Now, someone once said this, many Christians are like politicians, a lot of talk, but not much action. Yeah, we want to be serving the community, but no one wants to go to the school to paint. Yeah, we want to be generous, but many are not. Yeah, the gospel is the hope of the world, but we don't support world missions. The Bible is the word of God, but we don't read it. We, we should love one another, but avoid Christian fellowship in a small group or Sunday school class. See, if I say I believe in witnessing, and I don't witness, I really don't believe in witnessing. If I say I believe in prayer, but I don't pray, I really don't believe in prayer. Here's my joke for the day. Please laugh. A new pastor was taking over an aging congregation, and he told them he would be serving them prune juice for communion. When asked why he would do, dare do such a thing, he said, well, if the Holy Spirit won't move you, the prune juice will. <laughs> That's a little extreme. The thing is, the early church did the faith, and the more we do the faith, the more others will be blessed. I think part of the reason we're relatively healthy as a congregation, we have a lot of doers who will do the faith. But I was thinking of this this past week, if someone wrote about this church from outside Mount Pulaski Christian Church, what would they write about us? When people look at MPCC, they see a, what, a loving church? Yeah, that's a church that will do anything for you. Would they say sacrificial? They would die for you. That's what they'd say about the early church. They're a witnessing church. We can't get them to shut up. All they do is talk about Jesus. Or they're an other-oriented church. They care about people. I don't know. I don't know what people say. Probably get different answers from different people. But I've always had a dream for this congregation from the first day I was here nine years ago until now. And I know many of you have the same dream that we're a servant-oriented, people-loving, spirit-filled congregation that's so in love with Jesus that it is so obvious. And Jesus has gotten a hold of us and we can't wait to honor him with our heart, mind, and strength. Jesus has such a grip on us that we have to share him with others. The Holy Spirit is dominating our thinking and our motives and our priorities. The Bible is not a textbook. It is a guidebook. Ministries continue to be started that ministry to, to us within and also to those outside of us. We have people so in love with Jesus and anxious to serve him that we don't have to beg people to volunteer. We have so many people wanting to work that we have trouble administrating everybody. So many people working in the children's program, we have to turn people down. Not all of that has come true just yet. But there's been progress. You know what I love about VBS? Just had that a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it's two things. Now, there's something about VBS, but did you shut me down just because of that? Okay. <laughs> Two things I like. Number one, people give of themselves. It is an exhausting long week. Something like 60 people are, is what it took this last time to uh, take care of 120, 130 kids. Okay? I love it. People giving of themselves to make it work. And here's the second thing about it. Whenever a teacher or leader asks for a volunteer in class, or Rob asks for a volunteer, you know what happens? Ooh, ooh, can I, me, 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 me. All the kids raise their hand. They don't even know what they're volunteering for half the time, but they're going to volunteer. And if they don't get called upon, of course, they get disappointed. Transfer that to adulthood. Who wants to work in the nursery? Me, 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 me. It's my turn. Sorry, we got too many volunteers. You're just going to have to wait your turn. And you're disappointed. Rats, I don't get to get spit up on those babies, by those babies, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know. How about four-year-olds? Can I work with four-year-olds? And everyone raises their hand and 
You know, hey, it's my turn to deal with those wonderful kids and influence them for Jesus. Uh, what do you mean I can't help with junior hires? You got too many volunteers. See, if we're so in love with Jesus, spit, snot, and orneriness doesn't stop us. When people see MPCC, what do they see us doing? Not what we're saying, but doing our actions. By the way, one thing I observed in VBS is how much kids respond to men. Guys, you can make a difference just by showing up. I am not an expert in working with three and four-year-olds, but it is amazing how those kids draw on to men. This passage is right at the heart of James. Is your faith real? It was announcement time in a church, and the man in front announced to the congregation, the planning committee plans to meet Tuesday evening to plan a meeting to make plans for planning the next planning session. Plan, plan, meet, meet, talk, talk, and the world needs help. Faith without deeds is useless. It's no good to others. But also faith without deeds is no good to ourselves. It doesn't do us any good. There's an old education formula. You remember 10% of what you hear. You remember 20% of what you see. And you remember something like 70, 80% of what you do. Doing the faith will enhance your faith. Faith without deeds is like trying to sit on a stop, trying to ride a stopped bicycle. Eventually, you're going to fall off. For faith to stay strong, it has to be used. It has to be active and moving. It's like muscles in our body. You use them or lose them. You've got to put that faith into action. Uh, there are some people who attend church so they can be fed, and that's important. You know, uh, so for some people, they, wanna, they, they like the music. Some people like the preaching. Some people just like the programming for children. And I get that, and that's all fine. But if that's the extent of our faith... Your faith will die out or just get really flabby because you're not exercising. We become spiritually obese because it's just feed me, feed me, and we sit, 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 which is the opposite of biblical faith, which is serve, serve, serve. Probably the number one title, I'm, I'm, I'm just almost pretty sure of this, the number one title for a Christian in the Bible is servant or slave. There's a counseling therapy called behavior therapy, which in my simple understanding is basically act as if it were true. If you're not sure if you love your wife, start acting like you love her. Show affection, buy her flowers, be attentive. You may start feel, finding that love actually develops as you act like you love her. If you want to forgive someone but find yourself unable to forgive, act as if you've forgiven them and say words, I forgive him, I forgive her. We can act ourselves into believing and enhance our faith. You want to be a compassionate person? Start acting compassionate. It's not rocket science, you know. You want to be a more caring person? Start caring for someone. Now, two obvious key words in this text are faith and deeds, but there's another key word in verse 14, the opening sentence, and it's really the thesis for this section. What good is it my, uh, if, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? I'd say another key word is claims. Jesus is clear that not all faith is saving faith. And he's not the only one to teach this, by the way. This isn't just one verse. Jesus said, not everyone who claims to follow me, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know, it's not just talk. That won't do it. Uh, And James, of course, says faith without deeds is dead. John says love without deeds is dead. 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love without deeds is dead. Paul says grace without deeds is dead. Don't tell me you revel in God's grace if the way you live doesn't back up what you say. 
I don't know if you've heard about this concept. I read about this uh, a while back called low information action ratio. The ratio between information we receive and the action we do is very low. And the whole point of it is we receive enormous amounts of data in our culture today, all kinds of information. We're just bombarded with information. And much of it, we can't do anything about it. We get large amounts of information, so high information, but we, what we do with it is very low. And much of it, again, it's, it's beyond your ability. And what it does, it trains us to receive and discard information without acting on it. We're being trained by all this information. Oh, okay, and then we move on. We learn something new. Oh, that's nice, and we move on. We're being trained to not act on what we know and what we learn. Every day they're being trained. Now, notice an acronym for this, low information action ratio. We're being trained to be liars because we do not do with what we have learned. We watch the news about poverty, but we really don't do anything to make a difference, and, and sometimes we can't. I get that. We've been trained not to act. All of us have been trained this way. And then it comes into the church, and we hear a lesson, or we hear a sermon, or read a scripture, and the word of God, or maybe there's an announcement of some need. And we say, oh, okay, and then we move on. We've just been trained to not act. Nothing changes. So this is a challenge. Our faith has to respond to be real. This is not just an issue of morality or obedience. It's an issue of salvation. James says, can such faith save him? And the implied answer is no, it's dead. Verse 18, he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. In other words, some are faith Christians and some are works Christians. There's different ways of expressing love for God. James says, it doesn't work that way. You cannot have one without the other. Faith and works are like two blades of a scissors. Remove one blade, you no longer have the scissors. So, from this passage, I believe the biggest heresy and the biggest false teaching in Christianity today might be the idea that all you have to do is believe. I believe in God. I'm saved by faith. Faith alone is all you need. Well, the only time you find the words faith and alone together in Scripture is in our text where it says we are not saved by faith alone. Just believing in your heart is not enough. But doesn't the Bible elsewhere say we're saved by faith? Doesn't Paul say we're saved by faith and not by works? So some have felt that James and Paul contradict each other. Paul says we're saved by faith alone. James says, no, we're saved by works and not faith alone. And we've got to understand here we're dealing with two different issues. Paul is concerned about the admission of Gentiles into Christianity. The Jews wanted the Gentiles to keep the Jewish law in order to be Christians, you know, Sabbath and circumcision and holy days. And Paul said, we are not saved by keeping the Jewish law. We're not saved by those works. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. James on the other hand, is writing about those who must understood that what biblical faith means. And it's more than saying you believe in Jesus. So James and Paul would agree that genuine biblical faith will be visible if our deeds and actions will be visible in our deeds and actions and obvious to others. We're not saved by our deeds. That's what Paul says, and that's true. But deeds are part of our faith. And that's what James and Paul would both say. So they're really waging two different battles. Paul is fighting against self-righteous legalism that says, I'm saved because I'm good. It's just not true. No one is saved because they're good. And James is fighting against self-righteous complacency that says, I'm saved because I believe. That is not true. And we have the same false tendencies in thinking today. The picture James paints for us is in the church, some people's faith is alive, working and doing things, and others is a corpse. It's dead. 
1959, there was a tragedy that became the basis for a rather strange law in France. When hundreds of people died after a dam burst, a woman who lost her fiancé in the tragedy still wanted to marry her fiancé posthumously. So President Charles de Gaulle passed a law that allowed her to marry her dead fiancé. And through the years, posthumous marriages continue to be performed in France, like Christelle de Michael decided to marry her fiancé who'd been killed in a traffic accident, and she appeared before the city official in Nice, France, wore black, carried a bouquet of yellow roses, and stood alone. Her absent bridegroom had been gone for, been dead for 17 months. She married a dead man. That sounds creepy to me. But I think that's what James is talking about here. Jesus Christ cannot be married to a dead bride. Because the church is the bride of Christ. just doesn't work. His fiancé is alive and active. If you're saved and you know it, your life will surely show it. I heard of a particular plane from World War II that performed beautifully when it was in action. But if you got up close to this airplane sitting in the hangar, you'd see big buckets sitting under it, catching leaks and fluids dripping out in different places. And you think, I, and I'm not getting on that plane... But the plane was designed to fly. And when it was in action, it would seal up and there'd be no leaks. And it performed well. And Christians and churches do best when they're in action. When they're idle, that's when you get leaks and problems. Here's another quote. You've probably heard it. The smallest deed is greater than the grandest intention. Now, my fear after this kind of a message is you, you'll go away, well, I need to do more, I need to be more active, and that might be true for some of you. But the starting point of Christianity is not doing. Just because I volunteer for more stuff does not mean I have genuine faith. Just like the starting place uh, uh, for faith is not doing, nor is the starting place of our faith, faith. Faith is not the starting place. The starting point of Christianity is Christ. It is a relationship and a commitment. And if that relationship and that commitment is real, your faith will be real and it will show in, a, in your desire to serve him. It's kind of like loving your children. If you really love them, it will obviously show. So please do not start with works and do not start with faith. Start with Jesus. Love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Commit to him in total abandonment and that's when the faith will become real in your life. Let's pray. Father, James is so clear and so pointed, and I thank you for this word. Uh, the faith is not something that's relegated to our heads or hearts. It's not just sitting and listening. Faith does something. Faith works, and it's alive because Jesus is alive in us. So teach us that faith is a holistic, all-of-life endeavor, and we live for Jesus with our actions on a daily basis. We thank you for committing your son and your love to us. You showed your love to us in sending him to die for us. And may we now commit our lives to you. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.